Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. This week, we're very happy to have a repeat guest, Pierre Bernard of Howda Software. Pierre, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, Pierre is in wonderful Switzerland. How is it in Switzerland these days? We are back to cold weather. It started so well in spring and it's back to cold. <laughs> so, Pierre, you've updated How to Geo, which is your wonderful app for geotagging photos. Um, let's start by explaining what geotagging is and why you would want to geotag, but also why you might not want to geotag your photos. So, geotagging is the process of adding location information to your photos. Actually, I tend to split that in two in geocoding, actually finding the location where you took the picture and geotagging, writing that information as metadata tags into the image file. So it, is, it always sticks with the file, no matter what photo software you use later on to manage those photos. Right. So metadata tags are things like the EXIF data, the name of the camera, the date you shot a, a photo, etc. If you look at music files, it's the name of a, a song, artist, album, etc. And as you say, these are portable. They stay with the file. They're not just in the app where your files are stored. Exactly. That's the way I prefer to have it. So to have a standards compliance system that has all the data of one picture in one place. Are there other apps that do it differently, that, that store the data in their own database? Actually, I believe most photo management software does it like that. So Apple Photos has its own photos library, and it doesn't modify ever the originals, not even to add the metadata back into the files. So the files always are the way they came out of the camera, and if your camera did not have GPS, the image files will never have GPS. Although you can add it in the Apple Photos app, and in that case, does it get added to the files or only when you export a photo? It stays only in the library database, so within the application. It can get added as an option when you export the photo, but otherwise it's, it's stored separately. That's the same with uh, Lightroom, too. It Basically, Lightroom is keeping track of all that metadata and not touching any of the files until you do something with it in terms of exporting it out. So, you know, it's it, it makes a lot of sense from the application's point of view, but it also means that if you want that data, you have to use that application. And so, you know, we, we run into that, that lock-in that uh, happens all too frequently, you can't just go and browse those files on the desktop or in the finder and expect all that information to be there. Lightroom is a little bit better in that regard. Lightroom has an option to write edits to the files, but by that they mean mostly XMP sidecar files. Yeah. They don't touch raw files. So in photos, however, if I take a file, um, uh, wait, so what, what we need to know is that there's a setting. If you do want to get the location information um, that you've added in photos or that's in photos to files you export, you need to go in the general preferences and make sure that you check uh, metadata, include location information for published items. Now, it's actually a good idea to keep that off because you don't necessarily want your location data in photos that you share on social media. 
uh, let's say you've taken a picture at home, you don't want to show people precisely where you are when you put a photo on Facebook. Correct. So actually that happens when you take a photo on iPhone and share it immediately. I don't know if it's always the case, but I, when I get such a photo, I check if it has location data and I often find where the photo was taken. So yeah, somebody I, sends me a nice landscape and I can go to the same location the next day. Yeah. Well, so that's another reason why you might not want to include location data. And we were talking about this before the show. Um, you don't want, if you've taken photos of elephants in Africa, you don't want poachers to know where the elephants are. If you've gone to see that beautiful place with the flowers in, was it California last year with the wildflowers and people lined yeah. up to take photos there on Instagram? Um, I've seen photos of places, natural sites where there's signs, please don't share location data on Instagram, as if most people even know what that means. I think most people who would be there probably know what it means, or, or maybe not most, but a good number of people, because what's happening increasingly is a lot of these these places, and they don't even have to be, you know, big monument landscape destinations. They can be, like you said, like the poppy fields in California, and you see that on Instagram, you're like, wow, like I want to see that in person, which, you know, that's that's the good side of it, because, you know, you're... you're uh, enabling more people to see this this amazing visual thing. However, we're just talking about numbers. And once you get past a certain number of people, it just becomes, uh, it becomes destructive to the environment. And we've been seeing this in all sorts of different places, national parks and um, you know, those poppy fields. Uh, sometimes um, the, um, here north of me, there are uh, tulip fields, uh, and e even though they've been closed this year because of the COVID lockdowns, uh, you know, people still go up and people still, you know, mingle and congregate and all of that. So it's, you know, good in the sense that you can find out where a picture was taken because, of course, you know, I want to go see a great sunset. I want to go to the, one of these locations. But with so many people, then it just becomes a problem. There was a photo I saw last year. Um, you may remember this. It was a photo of someone on this cliff on Instagram, and it was a really beautiful sight. And then someone took a photo looking the other way at all the people who were lined up to wait to take their photos all alone on this beautiful cliff. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you see any of the, the behind-the-scenes shots of uh, Bridal Veil Falls, in Yellowstone, which is that 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 waterfall that at a certain time of year, at a certain time of day, it just looks like molten gold coming over. Yeah, uh, it's it's a mess. Like it, it's literally hundreds of photographers and tripods crammed together in a small space. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, we don't want to get too much into the bad bad behaviors of photographers. Well, but no, but there are reasons why you might not want to geotag yeah. your photos, and what you can do is you can use how to geo to remove those geotags, right? You can do that. It's often, however, easier to, to make that choice while publishing. I don't know about Instagram. I know that Flickr has an option where you have to allow it to, to share the information, the location information with the, with the viewers of your photo. So I'd rather take care of that at the publishing step than create another copy of my picture without the geotags. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah. So 
Um, I, I think the main reason people want to geotag photos for most people is they've been on a bunch of vacations and they want to be able to look at a map in their photos app and they want to find the pictures in France and Italy and Switzerland and Germany. Um, maybe another one, and I've actually read a book about birds um, last weekend about bird watching. And I would think if you're a bird watcher, you might want to geotag the photos each time you see a bird so you remember where you saw that particular bird, right? Right. I have heard of many different use cases. For me, it's uh, about travel, about remembering where I've been, about finding the my photos. But I have heard of professionals who document uh, nature sites, uh, uh, structural damage to road work, the weirdest things. I, I was just thinking that um, lately with the lockdown, when I get deliveries, one of the delivery companies um, puts the package outside the door and takes a few steps back and then takes a photo. And I'm guessing partly to prove that they delivered it, but also because they've got the GPS information to prove that they delivered it to the correct location. Sounds like a good idea. So how many photos do you have in your photo library? Way too many. <laughs> I don't know the total. What I do know is that on every trip I take, I plan to take fewer pictures than last time, and I take more than last time. But it doesn't and cost anything. It's not like in film where you have to pay for the film and the developing. That's the problem. You think it doesn't cost anything. Yeah. And then you get back home, and then you have to wait for a corona lockdown yeah. to get the time <laughs> to process your past three vacations. Yeah. Because I don't like trashing a picture before being sure that it's not not salvage, salvageable. I It doesn't look quite good, but if I crank up the brightness, the contrast, and then I modify the curves, there might be something in there. And then I spend half an hour on a picture, and there are <laughs> thousands of them. Yeah. And then you find one that's better anyway. No, yeah. then I do all of them, and then I sort them into groups of similar pictures and pick the best, two or three of them, <laughs> and then I hand those to my wife, who says there are way too many. Pick one of each. <laughs> you got to give credit to all the people who have been thinking, like you know, at some point I'm going to have enough time to go through my photos and and geotag them. If only there were a I don't know a global pandemic lockdown that I could take advantage of this. Oh, there's not one yet, and now everybody's locked at home, and you're like, oh this is my chance. This is the time to do it. But I, I know exactly what you mean, because uh, one of the things that I talk about in my book, uh, Take Control of Your Digital Photos, is that inclination of uh, going through your photos. And, you know, the idea is I'm just going to I'm going to I'm going to quickly just tag things and, and just you know, pick the good ones from the bad ones. And then you get hung up on one. You're like, oh, well, it's only going to take me 30 seconds to make this look better. And then you're like, well, if I just do a little bit of editing here and there, and like you said, 30 minutes later, you're like, oh, right. Uh, I still have, you know, 600 more photos to go through. So I, and you know, one of the reasons why we were excited about having you on is because this is the ideal time to do this sort of uh, geotagging, to do this sorting, because as we discussed in our, our previous episode, 
you know, aside from taking shots with uh, an iPhone, which grabs the, the geo information right away, if you are trying to apply this to, to photos you shot with a DSLR or a mirrorless camera, uh, it's it's not a straightforward thing. And so, you know, this is the time to break out how to geo 6.0 and, you know, start working on your, your these photos that you do want to tag. I work the other way around. I tag all the pictures because I always take my GPS track logger. So if all is working well, tagging is the easy part. So it's only a few pictures left to manually basically tag to the next one in the series mm-hmm. because the GPS battery ran down or I left it in the hotel room or whatever. <laughs> and then starts the long work of touching up the pictures and I only sort afterwards. That's where I go wrong. I should <laughs> pick the best one first. Well, I, I think what Jeff means is all the people that don't have a GPS tracker and are, so, are suddenly thinking, well, I was here on vacation. Maybe I'll want to, you know, put the location in, even if it's not 100% precise, right? They went to Pisa and the, they saw the Leaning Tower and they saw something else and they just put all their Pisa photos in the same location because it gives them a way to look back on that map and zoom in and just quickly find the ones from that location. Well, this is also the opportunity to, you know, basically like have a web browser open to Google Maps and your photos. I mean, I I do this when I'm trying to figure out where I was, you know, even even like roughly. uh, And, you know, I know that I was in this rough area on this day at this time. And, you know, let's say I, I didn't have a way that I was actively tracking my location. So it becomes this this sort of uh, detective work because I want to be able to say, I want to be able to know where I shot this partially just for my own knowledge, but also so that I can look and say, oh, well, like there's this mountain over here and I want to know the name of that mountain so that if I publish this photo on Instagram, I can say, oh, this is Mount whatever, whatever, and, you know, add add that kind of context to it. So I can see how even somebody who didn't actively track their photos would want to add this kind of information, and now is the time to do it, and this seems to be the tool to do it in. It's not all that much work. It's easier than one would think, because because we take way too many pictures, the distance between two pictures is not all that far. So once yeah. we have the location of the first picture and a big enough map, you can basically retrace your step to the next picture. So once you have a starting point, it's not all that much work. Okay, we're going to take a break. We're going to tell you more about how to geo six, and we'll be back um, in just a minute. This episode of Photoactive is sponsored by How to Geo 6.0. If you want to take photos and remember where they were shot and your camera doesn't have built-in geotagging, use How to Geo 6.0 on the Mac to attach GPS coordinates and location names to your photos. Geotagging is useful because you can find all the photos you shot on your last vacation, and you can find the precise location where you shot any photo in case you want to return there by checking the map in your photo management app. How to Geo can add locations to photos, whether they're in a folder on your Mac or in your Apple Photos library. 
You can use How to Geo's map to pinpoint the locations of your photos, or if you do use a dedicated tracking device or an app on your iPhone to log your location, How to Geo can import that log and automatically apply the location to all your photos. How to Geo geotags your original image files, adding GPS data to JPEG and RAW files. This ensures location information stays with the image no matter what photo management software you use in the future. Get a 25% discount on How to Geo 6.0 with the code PHOTOACTIVE. That's PHOTOACTIVE, one word. Learn more about How to Geo at howda.com. That's H-O-U-D-A-H.com. Okay, how about we go through the process now? And what I like about How to Geo is you have a lot of options. So if you have GPS information that you've stored um, in, as you say, a GPS tracker, you can export that and import it. If you have an app on your iPhone that you've been using, um, you can get that data and put it in. One of the ways that I often grab some data is if I'm shooting with my Fuji, which doesn't have any tracking, uh, take some pictures and then just make a point of uh, taking a picture with my iPhone just for that data. And then so I have some sort of reference and then copy that to other other photos. Yeah, in How the Geo, I call that reference photos. So you could copy paste the coordinates from one to the other one, but you can also ha ask How the Geo to do it automatically to just copy it to pictures that are taken within the same time frame. So if you travel and every time you stop, you take one picture with your iPhone, then take a couple picture with another camera, How the Geo will see that those are within minutes and put them all at the same spot. Okay, so let's walk through how to geo. It's got three main sections, load, process, and output. In load, you could either drag photos in or you could select photos from the photos library. What, what other apps does it support? It does support browsing a couple of photo libraries. So there's iPhoto, uh, still there. Um, <laughs> Aperture, still there because I still use it. There's Apple Photos. And then it can also browse the Lightroom libraries. Then, you, of course, you can just browse your folders, file system, drag in files from Finder. So if you're using another app, like let's say Luminar, that is cataloging its own way, but it's storing the files in a normal folder, you can just go through those folders as well. Exactly. Luminar just leaves the files in place in, in their folder so you can work directly with the files. You can right. add the folder where you store your pictures to the sidebar in Geo for quick access. But it's just the same as browsing the folders using Finder. So when you've added photos, you click process. And this is the part that's really great. Um, if you have data that you can import, you can import it. But if not, you can select one or more photos and look at a map and you can find a location. You can type a name of a location into places. Um, you can enter coordinates if you have the latitude and longitude, and you can precisely specify by zooming in to the map and clicking and moving the, the pin on the map, you can precisely specify the location where you took photos. Yes, there's many ways to add location, or, and you can combine those ways. So I'm, I'm lazy. I use a GPS track logger. So... It happens mostly automatically. And then there are some pictures where I forgot about the track logger or it just didn't work. And those for those pictures, I use the map. Um, the map allows for 
incremental geotagging. So like I said before, you retrace your step and you just move the map by that tiny bit that replace how you traveled. Uh, then I have the favorite places. So if you have like take many pictures at home or at the office in a certain park, you can save those locations and just in bulk add them to pictures you take take at those locations where you return often. Uh, there's the reference photos, quite a few options and you can combine them when one fails. At worst, you can look up the location on Wikipedia and copy the coordinates. Yeah, or Google Maps as well. Coordinates show on the bottom of the window in Google Maps, don't they? Uh, I see. They do show in the URL, so you, you can figure them out from Google Maps. Yeah. yeah. So what are some of the things that are new in version 6? Because that's, that's definitely one of the things I wanted to touch on. Like, like for example, tell me about uh, EXIF time zone. Like, how is that incorporated? What, is, what does that give me? Uh, it's, it's a very technical thing to explain, but it's actually been the number one feature request I had over the years. Uh, people want, to, want the times on their pictures to look right. So how the geo cares about knowing the ex exact time when you took a picture and the exact time can be expressed in different ways. You can say your, your camera was set to Hawaii time and take a picture in New York and just tell how the geo the camera was set to Hawaii time and it will figure out the moment in time where you took the picture, map it to a GPS track and know when and where the photo was taken and it will happily say your nighttime photo in New York was taken at 2 p.m. Hawaiian time. <laughs> <laughs> and that's mathematically speaking, that's perfectly accurate, perfectly correct, but it, it just looks off. Right, so, yeah, right. So the new feature is that while writing times back to the photos, as you write geotext back to the photos, you get to pick how to express that time. So you tell how the geo, please express this in New York time. And then it will say whatever 2 p.m. was, I believe it's 7 p.m. or 9 p.m., whatever, New York time. Mm -hmm. And it will just look right. See, that seems like a really good example of like fixing an annoyance that people run into all the time. Because I do that. If I travel to another time zone, uh, you know, I, I assume that my watch is going to pick it up correctly. My computer is going to my phone. Like all those things automatically correct for time zone, but my camera doesn't, and I forget about it, and then get home and realized, oh, these these have all been shot four hours ahead of what I need. So that sounds really cool. And that points out something really important in order to use this or any GPS um, logging system is that you need to have your camera set to the right time, but you have an option to how to geo that if the camera's off, you can enter the amount that it's off, say it's an hour off or 20 minutes off, and you, the app will automatically correct for that. Yeah, how that you just needs to know what time your camera was set to. Even if, that, even if that is completely wrong, you either tell it what the camera clock shows right now, and from there it figures what the difference between the actual time and whatever the camera clock think is, or you take a picture of a... Um, of a clock, and then you tell how the geo what the picture says, what the clock in the picture says, 
And from there, it will figure out the difference between the clock in the picture and the clock in your camera. And then in How the Geo Thicks, there's a new way to tell it about the, the time settings on your camera. When you remember where you took a picture, like a, a special location, um, a street crossing, something you can find on your map, you can point to that location on the track lock and then tell how the geo which of your photos was taken at that location. And from then, from there, it figures out what the camera clock settings must have been for those locations to match up. So basically, it knows, as long as it knows for one photo, it can adjust every other photo that's been taken. As long as you don't change your camera clock settings, yes. <laughs> well, I wonder how often people check their camera clock settings. They might have a battery that runs out and they forget to check the settings when they put a new battery in. Um, so I guess it's pretty common that people's camera clock is off. Mine is always off. I always want to set it and then always forget and knowing that I will use the geotagging software later on, I, I refrain from touching the clock while I travel. Yeah. So I keep it to whatever is set and it's set to a place where I've traveled to two or three years ago and since the battery has run down a couple of times and it's been off for a couple of minutes more and it doesn't make much of a difference. It's just in the end, if you look at the time, it, it looks off or ugly or whatever you want to call yeah. it. Yeah. This is just such a great example of sort of having a photographer's brain because, you know, like skipping ahead to after the fact, you you want all this data. You want to be able to know where you shot this. But then at least I should just be speaking for me. Uh, <laughs> when you When you go out to shoot, you know, your brain is like, oh, I'm thinking visually, I'm thinking location, I'm thinking light, I'm thinking composition. Uh, I'm not thinking, oh, geez, what's my camera clock set to? Which, of course, would make everything easier. And so I like the fact that I'm not going to be stressed later on because, oh, I forgot to set the, the, the clock right and now I'm screwed and I can just, you know, not have any hope of having my geotagging work. But knowing that, oh, okay, I forgot to set the clock, I forgot to change the time zone, but I can fix this later, and I don't have to do it in such a way that's just going to be, you know, completely time-crushing, uh, soul-crushing work when I want to, you know, work on, on the visuals of my, of, of my photos. So one thing I, I saw here that I, I have to ask you about which I had never thought about because uh, you know, when we're talking location, I will admit I'm always thinking 2D. I'm thinking map. I'm thinking you know north, south, east, west. But there's a, a, a feature here that says uh, scuba dive depth. So how to geo can include the depth of the photos you took underwater. Can you explain that to us? Yes. So... There already is a third dimension. Uh, the GPS devices also track altitude, right. which I find quite interesting when hiking. But the other way around, so below water, it doesn't work. Uh, that's a separate, separate information, dive depth. And it's interesting when you go diving, you, you, 
you move in the 3D, you basically fly around underwater, you float underwater, and you go to different locations, and they are characterized by their depths, color change with depths, uh, and also if you would like to return to a location, you would need to know also the depths of the location, not just its coordinates. So how the Geo 6 can now include that information in your photos, the idea is that it would still get the geotags from a GPS track log. Those probably would not be all that precise. You could drag the GPS track log on the surface. I never do that. I leave it on the dive boat, which roughly follows our dive. Mm -hmm. But then you wear a dive computer, which has to track your depths for health and safety reasons. You will need to know how long you can stay and you can export that data from the watch or dive computer and then add it to your pictures as an extra bit of information to know where precisely you have been. So this way, when you found the pirate shipwreck, you'll be able to know exactly how <laughs> that, deep it that is. That brings us back to, to the first discussion of not telling anybody where we took the pictures. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but that information will help you if you want to go back again to know how much oxygen you need, how much time you need to come back up, and you can prepare a, a longer excursion like that, right? Right. It could also help when uh, correct color correcting the pictures. It would be good information to know how deep you were and how much of the color was lost due to uh, the, the water above you. That's a good point. Uh, okay, so how does that work? Is, is it a question of white balance or is it a question of just, since there's less light, there's less color reflecting? It's white balance. It's actually a bit more complicated than that. The, the water filters the red color first. So it's not just shifted white balance, it's really the red and the yellow color missing. And you can push that with curves. And then you really don't know where you want to push that. If Do you want to push it to look good, to be realistic like you remember, or do you want to push it where, the how the fish would look if you were to take it back to the surface? Oh, yeah. Because your eyes also, they, they, they correct some, but not all of it. And there are several things that could be considered as the right choice there. But is there software that can correct for the depth in, in a photo? I don't know if there's software that does it automatically. I have seen cameras that have, um, dive cameras that have settings, not for every depth, but like, three or four different settings yeah. based on depth range. So you, you could figure it out from depths what settings to make. So what I do, I like to uh, copy-paste adjust, adjustments in Aperture. Yeah. So I know that if I stayed at a certain depth for a certain time, I can work for hours on one picture until it looks good and then copy those settings. Yeah, to the yeah. And GPS doesn't work underwater? GPS itself doesn't work. It needs direct view of the satellites. Right. If you were to really be want to be precise, you would drag the, G, the floating GPS device. Ah, with like a surface. buoy on the surface. Buoy, yeah. Never do that. But 
all the <laughs> dive boats follow you around, so it's not all that bad. Okay. See, I would not want to go underwater for any reason, so I would never have thought of that. <laughs> but this is fascinating. I, 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 I never would have considered it. And actually, now, Kirk, this makes me think we, we should find somebody who does some underwater photography for a future uh, episode. I think that would be fascinating, too. Um, so How to Geo 6 is available now. And we'll have a 25% discount with the coupon code PHOTOACTIVE. That's PHOTOACTIVE, one word, um, howda.com, H-O-U-D-A-H.com. Plenty of links in the show notes. And Pierre, thanks for joining us again. Thank you for having me. Okay, it's time for our snapshots. Jeff, what have you got this week? Uh, I'm going to share a YouTube channel. Um, uh, Photographer that I know, Brian Atch, he just started a channel called Shoot with a Pro. And, you know, it's a YouTube uh, channel that talks about photography. But uh, the the advantage that Brian has is uh, he is a celebrity photographer. He's done automobile photography, uh, you know, very much at that higher level. Um, the thing that I noticed first, I think his very first episode uh, was about um, shooting pictures of Prince because he was Prince's official photographer during one of Prince's uh, European tours. And so not only is it uh, a look at some of the photos that he took and how he made them, but there's a whole lot of behind the scenes of, you know, what it was like shooting Prince, who was a very interesting character, uh, an amazing musician, but also very quirky in terms of, you know, what sort of access he was going to give Brian and just the the working relationship of you know, shooting, going over the photos after the concerts, you know, so two o'clock in the morning, uh, Prince would gather all the musicians and they would watch a, a video replay of the concert and he would point out things. I mean, he was like very exacting. And, you know, he would also do like one thing that I learned, uh, Prince would never have any uh, set list in advance. And what the rest of his band would do is they would get up on stage and that's when they would see the set list for the first time. Um, I think, I think the Grateful Dead did that a lot too. Uh, but you know, they did that for most of their career. Yeah. yeah. And so, so if you were a, a musician in Prince's band, like you had to know everything, like everything that he had done, because maybe you're going to play something that you hadn't played for weeks. Who knows? So anyway, um, it, it's just a really good channel. Uh, Brian talks about how these, these are made other Photos and and people that he's uh, written about are you um, two um, behind the shot uh, John Legend uh, some you know famous photos that he's done and it's just a, a really interesting insight into a, a different aspect of photography that you know most of us will never actually do so it's it's called shoot with a pro there'll be a link in the show notes uh, and the episodes are only you know maybe. 10 minutes long, which is great. So you're not going to be listening to someone like me who keeps rambling on. And now let's move <laughs> on to <laughs> Kirk. Let's get me off the stage. What do you have this week? 
<laughs> um, I think it was in the last episode that I picked a book called Zen Camera. And what I found interesting was it was an approach to get people to use a camera more thoughtfully, differently. But I criticized the fact that the guy who wrote it um, didn't know much about Zen. So this week I've picked uh, a book called The Zen of Creativity, Cultivating Your Artistic Life. This is by John Dido Lori, who was both a photographer and a Zen teacher. Um, he started out, he was a photographer and meditator, and he was very interested in the work of Minor White. Minor White is a photographer from the mid-20th century who notably, and I'm not sure if he founded Aperture or was involved in the founding, but he was the editor of Aperture for many years. And at one point, he heard that Minor White was doing a workshop, and he said, I'd love to go, but I don't have enough money. And a friend said, well, sign up anyway. Maybe the money will come through. And boom, he got this tax return. Uh, that he wasn't expecting. He went to the workshop with Minor White, and it totally changed the way he looked at photography. And then he met a Zen teacher, and that changed the way he looked at photography as well. So this gentleman's career was that of both a teacher and a photographer, and looking at photography from a very different way from the sort of goal-oriented, um, trying to get the flashiest photo. Um, now, as I mentioned um, last time, I practice Zen meditation, so I'm kind of sensitive to this approach. But also, my photography is headed in that direction. A lot of what I've been doing lately is black and white and, and minimalist, and, and there's a fine line between Zen and minimalism. Um, but it, it's a way that I'm thinking that I like to take pictures. And so this is an interesting book because it doesn't talk a lot about photography itself, but it talks about the creative process by someone who was a photographer and a Zen teacher. So it's The Zen of Creativity by John Dido Lori. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app. 